Let me pray, and then we're going to dive in today, and we're going to talk about the Bible being messianic literature. So, Father God, just once again, I pray that we might be led to Jesus through the study and through the Scripture, and be given the wisdom to live our lives in light of that relationship, this relationship. So, God, we just thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so, again, we're trying to read the Bible uh, like Jesus. Um, And so, I want you to think about this answer in your head. What is the Bible all about? Just think about it. What is your answer? What is the Bible all about? And kind of form your answer, and then I want you to take that answer and just kind of throw it away for a minute. Don't get rid of it, because you're probably right, but um, just set it aside. Let's see what the Bible kind of tells us it is all about. But again, we're learning to read the Bible like Jesus did. We've been in Luke 24 every single week. Um, you know, he's walking with these disciples, and, uh, you know, he, he, he uh, you know, they're like, you know, Jesus, or they didn't know it was Jesus, but he, he's like, man, y'all don't get it, do you? You foolish men, slow of heart to believe that all the prophets that have, all that they have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in, in, in all the scriptures. Um, and, and that's kind of how it starts off is he, he's like, look, don't you get it? That, that in all the scriptures, everything that the prophets talked about, it was, it was all about me. When Jesus looked at the Bible, he realized and he understood it was all about him. Um, in John 5.39, he's uh, talking to some uh, Pharisees. Uh, he did that a lot, and usually it was an uh, argument in some senses. Um, they were mad at him. But he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, if you look at the Bible... And you tell, you know, there is eternal life in the Bible. It t- points you to who, but, so, so they're right in looking for that, but they completely miss it. Because he's like, look, it is in this, all of these that testify about me. He saw that the whole Bible led to Jesus. Wisdom that leads to faith in Jesus. And it's huge, salvation that is from Jesus. And then Second Timothy, this is how Paul kind of, you know, we looked at this verse already as well. You know, Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, look, from childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, these scriptures, the sacred writings point to Jesus. At least that's how Jesus sees it. That's how um, the apostles see it. But let's go back to Luke 24 here. Um, and so you have these two disciples walking the road of Emmaus, and we, we've talked about that story several times. Well, they keep going. It says that their hearts were burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he, while he was explaining all the scriptures to us. And then they got up, they returned to Jerusalem, they found, together, uh, found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. And they said, uh, man, the Lord has really risen and appeared to, to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of, of the bread. And while he was telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled. They were frightened because when Jesus popped, when somebody goes, boo, you scream. And I think that's exactly what happened. Jesus went, boo, and they all freaked out. Something like that, maybe. Um, And he said, look, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. 
And while they still couldn't believe it because of their amazement, he said, hey, do you have any food? This is going to be a big one, I think, in the next session. Jesus is always hungry, it seems like. (laughs) Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish, and so he took it, he ate it. And then he said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that are written about me in the law of Moses, this is the Tanakh ordering, remember that, the, the, the Torah, the Ketavim, the 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 oh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketavim, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, it all must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, that the repentance of forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And so, you know, he, he, this is his summary when, when Jesus says, look, everything that the Bible is about, this is it. That it is written that the Christ would suffer. He starts with this word, the Christ. Um, and we had a great conversation with our young adult group about how Christ isn't the last name of Jesus. It, he didn't go by Jesus Christ. That wasn't his last name. People didn't, he was Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, that's just how it worked back in the day. Um, but Christ is a... Uh, English word for the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one, and, and the Greek word Christos is a Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah, um, but it all means the same thing. Christ, Messiah, anointed one, that's all the same thing. So if you say Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ or the anointed one, it's all the exact same thing. Um, but this idea of the anointed one attached to these words is so important. Um, and that's kind of the, the phrasing I want to use today is, is the anointed one. But if you hear me say that, I'm talking about Messiah or Christ as it came, they came to know it eventually. Um, and it's the key portrait of the, the Messiah throughout the, the Bible that we're going to look at, that the Bible is messianic literature, that it is all about this Messiah figure. It is all about this anointed one. Um, it's all about, well, Jesus, if he is that person. So, um, before we continue, I want to look at another story. It's in Luke 2, um, and it says, you know, this is when Jesus was just born. Uh, we kind of pick up on that story after his birth, and it says, When the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it is written that the law of, in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male needs to be called holy to the Lord. And so they went up to offer a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He's a good guy, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out the the custom of the law he took him into his arms he took Jesus into his arms and he blessed God and he said now Lord you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles the glory of your people Israel And his father and mother were amazed at these things which was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and his his mom, Mary. um, And she said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall 
Uh, and he said to her, see, he said to her, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the ends that thoughts uh, from to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Um, so a, a little jam packed passage there, but it's about this guy named Simeon um, and, and a very interesting story. Because he, he's at the temple, and he thinks he just found the Messiah. I want you to think about how. How in the world did he know that was the Messiah? And think about what we talked about a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, when we talked about human and divine literature. When people were writing the Bible, it wasn't mind control. God didn't take over them, be like, here's what you're going to write, you know, and, and, and take over their hand or anything like that. Um, but it was this inspiration, it was this devotion of, of the Lord that they had um, and his faithfulness to show them and tell them a little bit. Of, so, so how in the world did Simeon know what to, how did he know it was Christ? Um, and I think we're on page two of the handout right now. Um, and I have some things underlined if you want to look there. But he was already looking for it. That's one of the things. He was already looking for the consolation of Israel, the comforter of Israel. If you, uh, um, he's looking for the consolation of Israel. If you look at uh, what Simeon says, he starts really, he's quoting scripture half the time and half of this conversation. And I have some of it highlighted down here as Isaiah 40. Um, comfort, oh, comfort my people says your God. This, this idea of comforting, consolation. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. We've probably heard that one before. Verse 5 says, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus, I mean, Simeon was quoting some of the stuff that, man, everybody would see his glory. Isaiah 42 says, behold, my servant whom I have, uh, I uphold my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you um, as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, a revelation to the nations. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. So, when, when you were looking at this story, Simeon, yes, he was you know, influenced by the Spirit, but that's only part of it. He was already looking for the Messiah, already looking for the Christ. How? Because he was in the Word. He was in Scripture. He understood that the Scripture was a messianic text, that it was all leading to this, um, this portrait of the anointed one. And so Simeon, or Jesus, or Paul or any of the apostles, they all saw the Bible as a unified group of literature that leads to the Messiah, that leads to Jesus. So my goal is, how can we see that? If that's how they saw the Bible, they're probably right. I mean, if Jesus says it's all about him, then we should probably be like, yep, yes, sir. So how can we see that? How can we see that the whole Bible um, connects to him without just kind of throwing it out there you know i feel like we do that sometimes like what's the bible all about jesus okay then how well it talks about it in the new testament okay but there's a whole nother half jesus name isn't in there 
So how do you know it's all about Jesus? And so that's kind of my goal is let's look at how the Bible is messianic literature um, and how this unified portrait of the anointed one is throughout the whole thing. So you can follow with me in the, in the handout. I also have the scripture up here like usual. Um, but we're just going to start uh, page three of the handout. Um, we, we, we open, you know, you open the Bible and you have Genesis 1. God creates the world. He establishes humanity as his image, as his representatives, as his reflection, his rule. And uh, after that's all set up, we have this really weird story of th- this guy and this girl, Adam and Eve. One, Adam means humanity. Eve means life. And um, they're just hanging out in this garden. And God is defining what is good and what is evil. And things are great. They're under God's wisdom. He says, hey, don't eat of this tree. Um, but then all of a sudden there's this snake. There's this creature. There's this serpent. And you talk about unified literature. You follow this idea of serpent or creature. Genesis 4 says that sin is crouching at the door. It has this picture of a creature. Um, and then there's so much more imagery like that throughout Genesis that I'm just now discovering, and it's so exciting. But anyway, there's the snake, and he starts telling a different story. He starts saying, look, God says if you eat this, it'll kill you, but it won't kill you. It'll actually make you like God. You will be God yourself. Um, and Adam and Eve, they believe the snake. They doubt God's goodness. They disobey. They eat from the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enter into God's good, good world. And this is the problem. It's the setup to the whole Bible. But there is hope. Right here in that story, in, in Genesis 3, there is, God makes a promise. God says to Eve, or, or he says to the serpent first, because you've done this, cursed is everything. Um, all, c- cursed is you over, over everything. And dust you will eat all the days of your life. But I'm going to put uh, enmity. Is that right? Yeah, I, it's a weird word, and I always doubt myself. But it's one of Mike Harvey's favorites. But I'm going to put hostility, this active aggression between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel we get this really interesting promise, active hostility, the struggle between you and um, the woman and between your seed, your descendants, your offspring, so the snake's descendants and the woman's descendants. Um, and, and what's going to happen is that one of her descendants is going to bruise you on the head or, or crush your head. And you're going to bruise him or crush his, this idea of mutual destruction. It's going to stomp on you, but you're going to you know, deliver a defeating blow to whoever that is. Um, and it's a strange, it's a very strange promise, one that you all have probably heard of, but, but very strange. Like, and that's it. This promise is made and the story continues. And we watch humanity spiral down into sin. It gets worse and worse. None of Eve's sons are that snake crusher. We see Cain, and he's actually a descendant of the snake. He is a murderer. He, he, he is deceived himself, and it just gets bad. Um, and even Cain's descendants are, are bragging about how they've murdered more than Cain did. And there's this struggle. There's this act of hostility. We get to Noah, 
and, and, and Noah becomes this rescuer for God's people. He becomes this anointed one. He, he goes in and out of death. He, you know, he makes it through the flood. It's like, could this be the guy? Is he changing everything? And, but we find out that Noah is, he's not, he's not the guy. Because he is also, um, you know, contaminated with the same sin that Cain was, that Adam and Eve were. And so we come to the end of Genesis 1 through 11. And remember, remember, Genesis 1 through 11 sets the stage for the whole Bible. Every story after that kind of comes back to Genesis 1 through 11 in some way. And so what is the portrait of the anointed one? Well, you know that it's going to be a seed or a descendant of a woman, of the woman, crushing the snake, but also takes a fatal, fatal blow as well. And then the story continues. And so uh, we move to page five of, of the handout. Um, and God, uh, y- you see this promise kind of get carried down the family line. That's why all those genealogies are there. And there's so much importance about that. But um, it leads to this guy named Abraham. And God uh, singles out this guy named Abraham, or Abram at the time, um, and and gives him a blessing and says, look, you're going to carry my blessing to the world. Um, In Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless you and, and those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. Is Abraham that guy? You start wondering. If you're reading the story as messy, you're like, okay, is this the guy that's uh, going to change things? Um, and, uh, and later, you, you see Abram, he takes up his son onto the mountain because um, God asked him to. And God said, will you sacrifice your son for me? Which is a very interesting thing because at this point, um, God has made a promise that through you and maybe through your descendant, I'm I'm going to, but you're asking me to sacrifice. But he follows through um, and God says this, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have not done this, because you have done this thing and not withheld your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you start following this promise. And what do we know about the portrait of this anointed one so far? Well, we know it's a seed, a descendant from the woman crushing the snake, but takes a fatal blow as well. Um, And that comes down the line to Abraham and to Isaac. um, And and through them, it's going to be a blessing to the whole world. So you look at Isaac, and there's not many stories about Isaac. So you quickly figure out, well, he's not the guy. So you keep going. As we follow this family, we get to another one of Abraham's great-grandsons, this guy named Judah, um, Jacob has a son named Judah, and there's this promise that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and, and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. He ties his fowl to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, and he washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. What kind of promise is that, Judah? Like, Jacob, I mean, you're, you're giving me this promise, and I don't know what you're, at least when I read it. But, but Judah, 
receives this promise of kingship, of a ruler, that this scepter will not depart from his line. And so, okay, maybe we're picking up on this picture of a king um, down the road, that that is the descendant of the woman. That's the guy who's going to bless the world, bring peace and harmony. But then we get to a couple other of these weird, and it says that the people will obey him, but you get to some of these weird verses, and it's like, those are verses you skip over because they don't make any sense. But look at the picture of it. You know, what happens if I'm taking my donkey and I'm tying it to the best vine for wine that I can think of? You don't tie your donkey to a vine, you know, because they'll run off and break it or something like that. Or I wash my garments and wine. You don't do that. It would stain them. But that's not what it's about. It's like there, there's such an abundance with this leader that we can even wash our clothes with wine that that we could even uh, our eyes could become dull because of how much we could drink it or our teeth could be stained white because there's milk everywhere you start getting this picture you hear about this late the land of milk and honey it's a picture um, and so this ruler that comes this descendant is also going to bring back the garden that's it's a picture of the garden here um a picture of abundance. And so this promised one, he'll be a ruler. He will restore the world like it was back in the garden to this place of abundance. So this portrait of the anointed one so far, a seed, a descendant of the woman crushing the snake, taking a fatal blow as well. Seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a blessing to the whole world from the line of Judah, kingship and abundance. So we move to page seven of the handout. And you start, uh, you, you follow the story, um, and, and God's people end up in Egypt. They end up in slavery. Um, but this guy, Moses, steps into the scene, and he rescues everyone from slavery in Egypt. Could this be the guy? I mean, there's several things that stick out that make Moses unique because he was considered a prophet, he was considered a king, even though he wasn't an official king. They saw him as a ruler. He was their leader. Um, and, and also, Moses, Moses was, was the one that ushered in the covenant between God and his people. So he was a priest. So Moses, this, uh, this prophet, this king, and this priest, is this the guy? This is the guy that spoke to God face to face. The guy that went up on the mountain and interceded for us and rescued us because God was done with us. But Moses, man, he, he stepped in between okay, is Moses this guy? Um, is he this anointed one? Well, it turns out that he's not. He's infected with the same sin as everybody else. But he says something really important um, down the road about that one that is to come. It says in Deuteronomy, that the, he says that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. That there's going to be somebody like me coming. And if you start following this picture of this anointed, this portrait of the anointed one, Moses is adding to it. There's going to be somebody like me, a prophet, king, priest, that's going to come later. And, and you actually see in this little, uh, and we talked about this, I think, a little bit last, last time, um, this little add-on to Deuteronomy that, um, oh, he says, I'll raise up a prophet from among uh, my countrymen, I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them, and all I, all I command him. But later on, it says, since that time, 
Nobody like Moses. And if you remember the Tanakh ordering, so you have the Torah, those first five books. Then you have all the prophets, starting with Joshua, ending with Malachi. And that's how it says, since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses. Let me prove it to you. Let me show you all these prophets. And then you have Psalms to Chronicles in that Tanakh ordering that we've talked about. Um, and so the, the, the portrait of the anointed, we know it's a seed, a descendant from the woman crushing the snake, taking a fatal blow as well. The seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a blessing to the whole world, the line of Judah, the kingship, abundance. And then one like Moses, a prophet, a priest, a king. And we actually get a, a weird story in the midst of, of uh, all of Israel's great stories uh, during this exodus. And uh, there's this, this is, this is Balaam and the talking donkey. It's a, a funny story to tell. It makes a great veggie tale show, I guess. I guess I've never seen it if they have one. But then you read everything around it. You're like, I really don't understand most of this. But the talking donkey, that's funny. Um, Shrek is not original. Um, but you get to the story and, and, and this guy is hired to curse Israel. But he can't. He can only announce blessings. And one of the things that he says is like, I see him. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. You have this picture once again of this ruler, um, a scepter, but there's also a star. Can you think of anywhere in Jesus' story where a star is important? Um, But again, this image of crushing the head of Moab, which is an enemy of Israel, this really complicated, they, they deceived Israel. Um, a really complicated relationship, and, and they weren't wiped out or anything like that. So crush. I see him, but not now. I, just, I love that. I behold him, but not, not yet. The sky's not here yet. Um, and so, you, again, you get this picture of a star from Jacob, a scepter, a ruler from Israel that crushes Israel's enemies, the head of Israel. So we move on to page 8, and, and you see the, uh, Israel move into their land. They get established, and then you have the book of Judges. We started the book of Judges today with our youth. Um, I put our posters up on the wall of our, all the books that we're going through, and uh, we showed a little video that kind of introduces it. And in short, Judges is how you do everything wrong, <laughs> um, you know, we, we tell stories of Samson as a hero in children's books and classes, but he was a bad dude. Um, he didn't really even know who his God was. Um, and so Judges happens, and uh, there's just all these crazy stories, but throughout there's this repeated line. We talked about how important that is, unified, when there's something repeated that's important. And there's this repeated line that says, in those days, and it actually ends the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's setting up the story for David. The book of Ruth sets up the story for David. Um, and so you turn the scroll and you come to Samuel, and, and this judge is born, Samuel, and later down the road he... Uh, he finds a king for Israel, the wrong guy. They figure that out pretty fast. Round one doesn't work. But he goes to seeking for somebody new. God's kind of impression on his heart. It's going to be over here. So he goes over here. Um, 
and he comes in and he gets all these guys. It's not them, but it's this kid named David. And so they sent for him um, and they brought him in, this guy of beautiful eyes, handsome appearance. And it says Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him. Um, and in the midst of all of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Um, is this the guy? And let me just show you why so many people, at least when you're reading the story of the Bible, would be like, is this, could this truly be the guy? So a chapter later, we went from 16 to 17. First Samuel 17, the most famous story of David in all of Scripture. The champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Okay? Six cubits. Remember, everything written in the Bible is on purpose. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. The reason I have bronze highlighted there is because when you look at the uh, Hebrew word for bronze, it uses some of the exact same letters as it does for serpent. There's one additional. And then he's wearing scale armor. So when Hebrew people are reading this, Bronze and serpent sound very similar, and they're picking up immediately. That sounds like the snake, and he's wearing scale armor. So he has a helmet, and he's wearing his armor, um, and then he has bronze greaves. He has a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. He has a spear like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield carrier also walked before him. What picture do you get when you're looking at this guy named Goliath? A snake. He's wearing scale armor. And then you have these numbers. Six pieces of armor weighed 600 shekels of iron. Six cubits in height. 666. The Bible actually has a reason for the 666 number. Revelation isn't coming up with that. It's quoting the Old Testament. Um... And so, no wonder so many people, when they look at uh, the story of David and Goliath, they're like, that is the guy. And look at what happens at the end of the battle. Um, David ran over, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head. Crushed his head. So you have this picture here, like, is David this guy? Could he be the one, the most famous story in the Bible is setting this seed from the woman and seed from the serpent against each other, and he actually crushes his head. And really, so much of David's story is, you know, a man after God's own heart. It's, you know, he's like Moses. Maybe he didn't speak face to face, but man, he is close with God. Um, but we find out through David's story that he is also infected with this sin. He acts on his sin in a very terrible way and we'll look at that story a little bit more later but god makes a promise to david and i'm going to look at the chronicles version of it um because it just words it a little bit differently and it says look even from that day i've commanded the the judges to be over my people israel i will subdue all of your enemies moreover i tell you that the house that the lord will build a house for you when your days are fulfilled that you must go to be with your fathers I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be of your sons. I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And so when Solomon comes along, you're meant to be like, oh, he's building a temple for God. This must be the guy. Well, again, we quickly find out it's not Solomon. So this portrait of the anointed, a seed from the woman, a crushing the snake, takes a fatal blow as well. Seed from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a blessing to the whole world, the line of Judah, kingship, abundance, one like Moses, prophet, priest, and king, a star from Jacob, scepter, um, a ruler who crushes Israel's enemy, a, de- a descendant of David, house for God, throne and rule forever, his father, my son. That's the picture as we get, that we get as we finish that story. But as you go from David, one by one, his sons and his generations or, or, or grandsons, they're, they're just total failures. They give in to the snake. They choose evil. They go after money, sex, and power and following other gods. Um, and they run the nation of Israel straight into the ground. It just implodes and all these other nations come in and take over. Um, and so it seems like all is lost because they knew it had to be a king. It had to be a king. There's no king anymore. The nation, the kingdom's gone. There can't be a king. It's over. And during these dark days, there's these crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just say, look, he's still coming. And reminding everybody that the promise is still going to happen, be fulfilled. He'll defeat evil. He'll restore the garden. Jeremiah 33 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. He shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And, and there's another prophet that there's way too many verses to cover with him, but your handout has a bunch of them on page nine. There's this guy, Isaiah, that he, he says that the promised king is going to receive this wound because of humanity's evil and that it actually kills him. But all of a sudden, he comes back, that he doesn't stay dead. And Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing for others and so this portrait of the anointed keeps growing it keeps growing we have all those things that we've talked about but now we know he's a suffering servant born of a virgin a light to the nations a wonderful counselor prince of peace etc a nazarene somebody that would heal who would have a forerunner and so much more you know when you come with all the prophets uh building up this portrait of the anointed one And the Old Testament is coming to an end, and the snake-crushing king that everybody's been talking about, he hasn't shown up yet. And we come to, uh, oh, that's the wrong spot, Um, 2 Chronicles. It says, when we looked at this, I believe we looked at this two weeks ago, thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kings, a story that we've heard already. Why is it repeating it? Well, at the very end here, it says, Whoever there is among you of all of God's people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Go up where? Go see what? 
Oh, and the, the, new t- the Old Testament ends. The Hebrew Bible ends. But we turn to Matthew, and it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Anointed One, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, and it just keeps going. It doesn't say, hey, this random guy Jesus is actually him. No, he's like, look, remember everything all those prophets said? goes all the way back to the seed of that woman, to the seed of Abraham, to the seed of Isaac and Jacob, of Judah, um, you know, all the way down the line. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And then you have this woman uh, and this crazy story about his birth. But the Old Testament builds up this messianic portrait And the New Testament says, responds, Jesus is that guy. And this is what the New Testament does. You know, once again, it's not introducing us to this random guy named Jesus. No, this is the guy that fits all of those gaps. All those help wanted signs, this is him. Um, He's fulfilling all these ancient promises. And so he ends up going around Uh, announcing the goodness of God's kingdom. It's here now. He begins confronting evil's effects um, by healing them and forgiving them of their sins. And many people um, are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. And Jesus actually tells his followers that he is going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil onto himself. This fatal snakebite wound. And, and so it seems like the serpent wins because he dies. And the story would be, it would be a tragic ending except for what happens next. What happened, you know, a week ago, Easter, Jesus rises from the dead and now Jesus has the power over evil and death. And so the rest of the New Testament begins making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of sin in our lives. But even still, death and evil are real. It's a, it's a problem. Darkness is a problem in this world. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing a future day where Jesus returns to finish the job, where he destroys the snake once and for all, where he restores the goodness of the garden, the abundance of the garden here on earth. Do you see it now? That is the portrait of the anointed. What the Bible is doing, and many, some of y'all might have seen this picture before, but what the Bible is doing is it's creating this portrait of the Messiah um, throughout its text. If you look really closely, this is all just words. This is the book of John written out. But the Bible's doing this exact same thing. As it's writing and telling a story, it is highlighting one to come, an anointed one that'll, that'll save everybody. And I think this image is just a, a great example of a picture of what the Bible is doing. Showing that Jesus is the guy that filled every gap where everybody else stepped up but failed. When Moses said, somebody's coming that's like me, Well, Jesus was that one. He is that prophet, that priest, and that king. He is that anointed one. Um, And that is what the Bible is doing as it tells its story. And so again, the Old Testament's painting this portrait, saying, hey, this is what we need. And the New Testament answers, hey, this is our guy. Jesus is the fulfillment of this human and divine partnership 
Jesus unifies the two testaments and he unifies the world. Jesus is the messianic portrait of the Old Testament. This is who Simeon was looking for. When he read his Bible, he saw this portrait being built up, and so he saw it. That's what he was looking for. And so if Genesis 3 is about abandoning God's wisdom, then, Gen- then Jesus is about reconnecting us to God's wisdom. This is Jesus, our Messiah, our Christ, our anointed one, our Redeemer, our Rescuer. And that's, that's why it's so important to us now. That's why our hope is in Jesus. So, so how do we read the Bible as messianic literature? Because if I'm coming to a point where I'm struggling to see Jesus in all this, then, it, then it's me. It's not the Bible. It's me. The Bible was written the way it was on purpose, and we're going to learn more about that as we go. But maybe I'm not looking for it in the right way, or maybe I'm not asking the right questions if I can't see Jesus in the text. Um, and so, you know, how, how can we do this? And so a, a couple things on your handout on page, uh, 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 one of the last ones. Um, I don't know what page you're on at this point. Page, uh, yeah, last one. Yep. So one of the things that you can do is just ask the right questions. Ask, how is the story of Eden, how is Genesis 1 through 11 being replayed here? When I'm reading this story, how is it presenting this need for rescue, this need for redemption? Um, and, and because, again, every story comes back to that one way or the other. And ask, man, where do I see this portrait of the anointed one being built up? We highlighted some of the main ones as we, as, as we went, but there's so many more. You know, there's a reason, you know, Isaac, you know, God said, sacrifice your only son. That's one that we've connected before, I think. But, but um, there's so many more. So, so how do I see in this character the portrait of the anointed? Why has the Bible chose to highlight this person as a hero? Um, and, and how does that create a gap for somebody else to fill somewhere down the line? Um, whether it's Joseph, Elijah, Solomon, or Isaac, or Ruth, or Boaz, you know, you can see these characteristics or these attributes being presented as good and that somebody down the road is supposed to fit that as well. Um, so ask the right questions um, is, is one way to do it. You know, how do I see the wounded victor in, in all of this? Uh, the other thing is tracing themes. Um, and this is one, we're going to talk more about this later, but so powerful. We just trace the theme of the Messiah throughout the Bible. And so ask or, or, or look um, and just look, follow these themes. You know, the theme of goodness, the theme of, of the spirit or, or the theme of, of God's character or the theme of redemption, of rescue. Um, it's in the book of Ruth. You know, how does that fit in with Jesus? Um, Another way to do it is reverse it. Start with Jesus. Start with the New Testament. Because, again, the New Testament, it's not coming up with a bunch of original stuff. It's doing a lot of plagiarism, sort of. Um, no, it's quoting. It's quoting. That's why I'm allowed to plagiarize is what I've decided. That's why I said in college and it didn't work. But, um, but the New Testament is constantly quoting the Old Testament. It's hyperlinks, connecting old to new and new to old just to help us fully understand the picture. So according to these authors in the New, Te- New Testament, what did they see Jesus fulfilling? Um, so start, you know, reverse it, go backwards, and use those hyperlinks. Um, 
and just see how all these things they tie to Jesus they lead us to Jesus see the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus and so that's that's some good first steps on how to read the Bible as messianic literature so I want to say one more thing before we uh, go Um, what you say the Bible is about it's going to define what you do with it if you say the Bible is about Jesus you're going to be able to find Jesus more but if you say it's about something else it's going to define what what you do with it um, where you will go with it and where you will go with Jesus. If you say that you are a Christian, it means that you are a Christ person. It means that you are a Messiah person. It means that you are an anointed one, um, that you follow and you reflect this portrait of the Messiah. This passage in First Peter 2 um, is hit home a lot lately. I've used this a lot. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, You yourselves, as living stones, as a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable uh, to God through Jesus Christ. And it continues a few verses later, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we look for this picture of the anointed one, we have to remember that we can't separate the Messiah and the, you know from Jesus. You know this picture of the anointed. You know part of following him means changing. That we must change to be more like the portrait of this anointed one, Jesus. Are you changing by connecting to God's word and God's spirit of wisdom? Part of following him is following this portrait, being able to see Jesus um, throughout the story. Are you discovering the portrait of this anointed one? Part of following him means becoming him. So do you know your Jesus Messiah? Let me pray and then we can uh, talk and, and wrap up. But Man, God, I just thank you once again that throughout your whole text, throughout all the scriptures, you're highlighting this picture of who Jesus really is. So God, help us as we uh, read scripture to find Jesus throughout it all, to make a beeline to Jesus, as Spurgeon used to say, Um, and, and just really to see this portrait of the anointed built up throughout all the text. May we become like him. May we change and be like him. May we reflect that anointed uh, representative. Um, and and that that savior and that the goodness that all he is god just thank you for him and thank you that you've saved us to walk with him and it's in your name that we pray amen